Okay, close your eyes and imagine. Well, unless you're driving. Yes, imagine you bought a scratch ticket from the Iowa Lottery. Or someone gave you one. Yes, right, and you scratch, and you've won. One big. Yes, in fact, there are 13 holiday games with big cash prizes. And if you don't win, play it again. You can still win up to $100,000 in the VIP club. But you have to enter and see rules and complete details at ialottery.com slash VIP. Yes, thank you. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. You're listening to Puck and Roll. podcast this is a big episode because we have multiple talking points including a couple small things like the draft happened you know where the Habs picked first overall where they traded uh, away Alexander Romanov where they had I believe they ended up picking 11 times um, that was rather eventful and we've also had a couple other major things happen uh, since then such as the Mike Matheson from Jeff Petrie trade, where we also left the, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and on top of that, some, bi- not big, but some worthwhile to mention extensions signed to Rem Pitlick and Samuel Montembeau. So for this episode, we have a fairly full house. I'm joined by Aaron Idovich, Joshua Rosa, and Scott Cowan. How are you guys doing? Just fine, Sebastian. Finally got my name right. Mm. <laughs> oh shut up yes i'm sorry i got i i mispronounced his name uh which was great uh <laughs> and yeah so considering that 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 the mike matheson for jeff petrie trade just happened we should probably start with that so uh jeff petrie who has what i believe three years left at six million uh, was traded along with Ryan Paling to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Michael Matheson, a Montreal native making, okay, Aaron, you're the the contract was here. Is it 4.85? 4.875. I believe Matheson. Yeah. 4.875. Okay. Yeah. Uh, As well as a fourth round pick. Um, As someone who covers the draft, do not discount the value of the fourth round pick. There will be valuable players available there. Um, Make it the next Joshua Wall. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, But Paul Matheson is the return here. And it's a really interesting gamble for the Montreal Canadiens because Michael Matheson, on his contract, performing the way he did in the last like three seasons before this past season, is a Carl Alsner type contract. It is bad in terms of just how he performed. However, Michael Matheson on his contract as he performed last season, and that's a valuable top four defenseman there. And he's going to get a shot on the first pairing for Montreal because I don't I don't see how you play jo- uh, um, Joel Edmondson with David the first pairing it's going to be Matheson Savard on the first pairing which is good for the tank I think already but Matheson will have every opportunity to flash his offensive skills so uh, I'll just address the question to you all like what are your thoughts on the trade and what do you think that Matheson can bring to the table uh you said that uh 
there's a lot of value in the fourth round in the fourth round pick. And I absolutely agree. Could have even gotten the guy 29th on my board and Kirill Dolzhenkov. But we also can't discount the fact that we gave up the 25th overall pick from like four years ago. And obviously Paling didn't turn out perfectly. We could have had Jake Ottinger right after. But I feel oh, like please don't bring that up. Oh God. I, I feel like we had to sweeten the Petri deal. And even if Matheson turns out, I feel like a Petri for Matheson one for one trade would have been a lot more reasonable. As for what Matheson brings, I was very, very down on it at first because I didn't watch a single Pittsburgh game this season except for um, uh, in the finals. I did, however, watch a few Panthers games the year before, and he was just absolutely brutal. But uh, the narrative has changed a little bit around him, so feeling a little hopeful. I think the thing that, like, to consider with Kaylin, especially for me personally, is that everyone who I guess is big into prospects is still seeing his value. But I unfortunately feel like Paling fell into the same trap that Charles Dudel fell into when he was in Montreal, which basically is that his value just kind of went from being a top prospect to a guy who was just kind of underdeveloped and people didn't really know what to do with him. And then the Habs ended up just letting Houdon go to free agency. But the thing about Paling that's bizarre is that he's not offensive enough yet to be a top six forward and he isn't that great enough defensively to be a truly productive bottom six forward. So maybe going to Pittsburgh will be a chance for the team to reinvent him and see maybe if he can be that original 25th overall expectations. And I think the thing to consider Matheson especially is that coming into Montreal, people are going to think that he isn't a huge player in terms of his potential just because of the numbers he's posted before and how brutal he was in Florida, especially in the 2018-19 season where he was minus 24. But I think looking at the season he had in Pittsburgh and the attributes he brings to the table, I could see him being a similar story to the way Max Domi was in Montreal. Obviously not quite as productive as for quite frankly that 72-point season still haunts Max Domi as he hasn't been able to live up to it. But I feel like if he's given a top-pairing role and a chance to play big minute crunching minutes, he could be a big surprise and surpass even the expectations that are already had of him at this moment. I can add for Paling, we just gave up the greatest pure goal scorer of all time since in the, I want to say 2018-19 season, he scored at a three-goal-a-game pace. So I feel like it's a lot to give up. Legendary goal scorer, Ryan Paling. Uh, Josh, I haven't heard it much from you just yet. What were your thoughts at, like initially on the trade? And has your opinion changed as the discourse in, in Habsland has also kind of shifted over the last couple of days surrounding the, the trade. Yeah, I'm definitely not as high on the trade as it seems like you guys are um, just because I'm trying to base it on the value that G3 can bring to a team, especially when you're looking at a team that can really support him well in Pittsburgh with their defensive coral. I just felt that, like, again, we're selling low on a guy like Petrie because he does, he can play borderline top line production uh, at his best. But obviously, this past year wasn't. And it's hard. You don't know what's going on in the locker room because he requested the trade and then. St. Louis came in and it kind of got a little bit messy. I still think for all the talk that we were talking about getting the right deal and holding out, I just don't love the return. I mean, Matheson is a good fit for our top four. He's the kind of guy that we haven't had outside of me for a while, which is that puck moving offensive defenseman that could get the, uh, transition game started really well but give up tree and for him i don't love it i don't think it's the worst thing in the world but um yeah the tank seems pretty good with that top pairing of uh matheson and david savard oh dear lord yeah, and we all know that Josh is the biggest David Savard fan on earth. Um, Love him to death. just can't get yeah. enough of him. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think <laughs> that also the... putting uh, Edmondson with uh, Matheson wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. I don't know about Savard, but Edmondson and Matheson would make a bit more sense to me. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's very likely that, that Edmondson ends up playing on the right side if the Habs don't end up acquiring another right 
shot defenseman. Then you have like two shutdown guys on the right. And then um, you could have Madison on the left and then like a guy like Jordan Harris or Caden Gooley um, on the second pairing. And I think that that's an interesting tank kind of season defensive core to work with. Um, Considering but... that uh, Savard is kind of going back to what you said about Alzner, Savard's kind of trending in an Alzner direction, unfortunately, even though it's only been one season. So I, I think I the... don't think he's going to be as bad. <laughs> Well, I think, but I still think Ken Hughes and crew want to avoid that from happening because I feel like Savard isn't too far gone just yet, and there's a chance to redeem him. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you put him with a guy like Matheson, I, th- I really do think that, that that pairing would actually play to both guys' strengths. Um, and I'd be very curious to see how it would work as a pairing. If it's Edmondson Savard, I'm going to die inside. Um, but yeah, that would not be a good pairing, though it would be very good for the tank. So maybe I would embrace it, but it would just be painful to watch. Um, but I, I've been watching a bit of Mike Matheson in the last couple of days and um, like from his uh, playoff performances. And uh, he, he's really fun. Mike Matheson, uh, he's a tremendous skater uh, with the puck on his stick. He flashes skill that no other player that like no other guy that's going to be a Habs defenseman this season can flash um he his scanning habits are very impressive actually uh and he plays some of the most aggressive hockey in the offensive zone from a defenseman that I've seen in a while um whenever the he, like Pittsburgh turned the puck over in the offensive zone Matheson was charging at the puck to like force the turnover back and to prolong possession in the offensive zone, which also did cause some odd man rushes, but in other cases it created offensive opportunities, uh, which is why I think he's going to be loved by some fans in Montreal and uh, not quite loved by others. But I, I really think this is an interesting swing for the Habs to take because look, there, there, there's a real chance that Mike Matheson flops and is a painful contract on the Habs books, but there's also a real chance that he outperforms his contract and is a very, very valuable piece in this rebuild uh, who can teach the young crop of Habs defensemen uh, that's coming up how to play an offensive and skilled game uh, because he has that ability and it's it's a very intriguing move, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in a Habs jersey. That's for sure. Just considering that last season, like one of the guys who was sort of a mentor on defense was Chris Weidman, and as much as I really liked the way Weidman played last year, he's not exactly a guy who want to play that kind of role. He's a 32 year old defenseman who's supposed to be a power play third pairing guy, not the kind of guy who steps up in the locker room, you know. Yeah, and also I, th- I think that I mean, Matheson has not played too much on the power play in the last couple of seasons, uh, but he's going to get that opportunity this year, uh, and I think that he's going to excel in it. Uh, he, he's a, again what I mentioned earlier. It's his scanning habits that like are pr- some of the most impressive parts of his game that I've noticed thus far. Uh, he's constantly scanning, whether it's on retrievals, whether it's when he has the puck on his stick. If he's defending the rush, he's constantly scanning just to always know where his teammates are, where the opponents are. And on the power play, for instance, that makes him a bit of an anti-Jeff Petrie. Like he's going to constantly scan to see where his teammates are. Where are the passing options? How can he move in order to open up passing lanes? Like he has those abilities. Uh, So I think a guy like Cole Caulfield is going to get a lot more one-timer opportunities if he's playing on a power play with Mike Matheson than he did last season with Petrie. If there's but, one thing that helped Cole Caulfield the most was when he finally started getting passes. And that's why Chris Weidman was also so successful this year is players. Yeah. I mean, Marty St. Louis definitely has something to do with it. But Weidman <laughs> got a lot of his assists off Caulfield goals. And just adding puck-moving defensemen, it's going to have an effect on every single part of the roster. I still do find it kind of amazing how even as we move into this point of the offseason, the Habs are still feeling the the how to say the drawbacks from hiring Dominic Ducharme with, with Petrie wanting out partly because of how miserable he fared in Ducharme's system. It's, it's just a lot to the mistake that, that was. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I think, like, speaking about Caulfield, it's a decent way to, to switch the conversation now towards the draft because the Habs drafted a player at first overall who may very well be a longtime linemate of Cole Caulfield's in Montreal and Yuri Slavkovsky. And picking Slavkovsky over Shane Wright was a divisive pick. Um, what were your guys' reactions when that happened? Everything that's followed Shane Wright in the aftermath of the, uh, like everything that's followed Shane Wright in the beforehand of leading up to the drought in the aftermath has painted him as a person who's just, there's a lot more facets to his game, the mental side of his game that I think people were realizing. And I think that kind of came to the forefront, especially after the draft. So I think with the Habs taking Slavowski at first, I was thinking it's a bit of a bizarre pick, but as kind of the dust is settled, I can understand it a little bit more. And I see Slavowski as honestly being a more potentially promising player. I was lucky enough to be at the draft and I was 98% convinced walking into the Bell Center that we were going to take rights. No, you weren't. No, you're lying. That's no. true. I, was I remember, I remember that, I, that morning. No, 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 you were 98% convinced like a week before the draft. Then the Did day before 95? the draft, you were like, I'm shitting bricks. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I, I texted, you were afraid when, it was going to happen. The day before the draft, I'm like, I'm so scared. But it's because the Habs kept posting very right, positive stuff. <laughs> and then I'm sitting and I see on Twitter... Like a lot of stuff where, oh my God, the betting lines have changed. Now you're taking you're taking a bet on right going first overall. I'm like, okay, Uri Slavkovsky's a have. I was mortified the Belkander was going to boo Slavkovsky out of there. And it was an instantaneous cheering. People were thrilled. And I even yelled out, I, I swear I made eye contact with him. I yelled out like, I love you, Uri. And he looked in my direction and butterflies. So, Yaroslavkovsky's a He's hab. a beautiful man. I, I, I too would get butterflies. On He is a beautiful, beautiful man, dude. and he will be a fan favorite. The other thing to take oh, consideration as well is that sure. Slavovsky has the men's league and professional experience that Wright doesn't, right? At the end of the day, he wasn't fantastic in this in the SM Liga, but he was a, con- a reliable contributor on a team with veteran players who have either NHL experience or tremendous overseas experience. So, I think looking back after the pick was selected, I was like, yeah, I can understand a little more because this guy has proven that he can play with, well, men. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, the Habs did not draft Yuri Slavkovsky because of his Liga play. Um, his play in the Liga was fine. Um, wasn't as good as Brad Lambert's. Wasn't I just see it as, as more as of an Kmelt. anecdote. Yeah, but but like it was it was his international play that really set him apart. And it's also why he was such a divisive prospect going into the draft. I mean, it was really two months on Habs Twitter of just, it was a hellscape, right? Of just constant debates where you had one side that was painting Slavkovsky as the next, as the six foot four version of Wayne Gretzky and another side painting him as a lifetime ECHLer, right? Where, where both sides are just like absurd. And it's like, no, there's a middle ground here. And like, look, for the sake of transparency, I, I mean, I, I scattered this draft class the entire season. Like I spent countless hours on it and I ranked Slipkowski at five. Um, Shane Wright was my first overall, was my first ranked player. And I really wanted Shane Wright in the Habs jersey, but it's not a bad pick at one. Like it, I, I think there was a better pick at one, but I think what a lot of people have, have have, have at, least, at least like going into the draft. I, I think the narrative has changed quite a bit since it happened because, again, Habs fans are often very reactionary, and it's like, and like, there are positives to that of the reactionary than like one eighty of just supporting Slavkovsky uh, now that he is a Hab, and that 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 was beautiful to see as you, you're describing Aaron and that like it wasn't a bell center filled with booze. It was support and cheers, and and the fact that that happened was actually quite quite almost unexpected for me and beautiful. Um, but no, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a bet on, on upside because Slavkovsky, if he turns out, he could be a Miko Rantanen. And if the Habs draft Miko Rantanen first overall, uh, that's a, that's a terrific pick uh, that, that would be one of the most dominant wingers in the league. And there is that kind of upside. 
we're we're not the Ottawa Senators. Anybody we were picking at one was going to be a franchise altering piece. It wasn't gonna be Nutella. I don't know franchise altering. Uh, like, An important piece. I would I would Good disagree player. with that. I would say I would say a a, a, valu- a valuable top of the lineup complimentary because like franchise altering like I thing is I, I don't even know if Shane Wright would have been a franchise altering piece necessarily like it like next year you're gonna have a trifecta of those options with Michkov, uh, Bedard, and Fantilli. Yeah. Uh, all three of those guys would have gone first overall this year, in my opinion. Would have um, like this draft, yeah. nothing compared to the 23 draft. I'm, 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 I'm very excited for next year's draft class, but, but Yuri Slavkovsky is... Terrible year. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. like, Slavkovsky is, is a very... He, he, he's a very mobile skater. He, needs, he, he really needs to work on his like, top-end speed. Uh, but he's so powerful, like both in like in, in his stride, but also um, like this man was throwing grown men off his back, like like they were like mosquitoes, right? Like 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 he is incredibly strong. Uh, he he's, he's immediately going to be one of the NHL's best puck protectors. Uh, he knows how to use his physicality to access the middle and attack the slot. These are all very translatable and valuable skills and yes i i, I think that's that slavkovsky is going to be a fan favorite in montreal he's gonna be fun to watch i think he's going to drive excellent possession metrics so the analytics community is going to love him which is hilarious because his like nhle going into this draft because of his league of production is like what, what was it like a a two percent chance of him becoming a star or something by chance of him becoming an nhl or something yeah, exactly. Where, where it's like, no, like, like there's more than 19% chance that he plays significant NHL minutes this season. Like, come on. Um, well, was but, there any like, European like, prospect that comes in as like a top pick in the draft or like that franchise altering thing? I find they always tend to follow like, this is a bit of an obscure reference, but they tend to follow like the Pavel Brendel idea where like at times there are things about their game that come into question that kind of or take away from like the overwhelming just impressiveness of their statistics, especially with the European thing, uh, with his performance in the Olympics. So I think like with guys like Patrick Laine, I think Laine was kind of what Brendel should have been had he actually fared well in the NHL. And now that Slavowski has been picked as the top selection in the draft, it's nice to see that's not kind of tossed at the wayside for now because fans are just so excited about the prospect of having the first overall pick play next season. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I think that like Slavkovsky, I, I hope he gets most of the season in the AHL because I think just giving him that that opportunity to learn the North American game and just develop without any pressure, without having to be in a locker room. That's I mean, the Habs are going to be terrible next season, and the Laval Rocket are probably going to be excellent. So think, the Rocket are no longer winning, a basement dweller. Exactly, like and, and just have, that is is valuable. If we have Gooley Barron both in the AHL. That's one of the age. Oh, I'd love that. But it's not only uh, Gouli and Barron, it's the fact that, like, it's about the Rocket have it's guys. The entire who, depth. Yeah, well, they, it's the guys who don't. It's not, I wouldn't want to see, like, a reality check. We have guys like Brandon Gignac and guys like Danik Martel who have seen the other side of the hockey spectrum where, like, you have to fight for your paychecks and you go from paycheck to paycheck and you're just trying to find work. So having those guys in the system with a prospect like Slavowski will be tremendous for his development just to see both sides of the coin. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I. Personally, I would love to see a defensive core in uh, in Laval that's anchored by uh, Caden Gooley, Justin Barron, uh, Gianni Fairbrother, and Matthias Norlander. Like that would just be very, very fun to me. And it's, for all we know, the Habs could also send down Weidman if he doesn't make it as a seventh defenseman. And if they send him down, exactly. oh my god, it'd be like having Wayne Gretzky on the blue line, you know? Oh yeah, I mean Chris, Chris Weidman in the AHL would be absurd if he doesn't. Sixty-one points. If he doesn't make the NHL well, the first... for Yolonen, I think Slavkovsky and Yolonen would be perfect on a line together. Honestly, Especially if you pair them with a playmaking center, a, great... a guy who can feed them the puck on both sides, it'd be... If you can get like a Connor McDavid on the roster, that would be perfect. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. Rocket will also have probably the most fitting that. captain next year in uh, Gabriel Bork as well, who will just be excellent again for development. Yeah. I'm wondering who... who like. Like Scott, you're, you're you're like the AHL expert here. If if there's a, a line with Slavkovsky and Yolonen, 
which center do you think would best complement them? I'm just trying to think about the guys that like the Rocket have remaining because a lot of them kind of border on their potential versus their skill set. Like you have guys like Nate Schnarr who kind of played okay last year for the Rocket, especially in the playoffs, but I don't know what his potential lies if he can actually be a top playmaker, but I think actually if you're talking about a guy who would be fun to have with them, it would be Peter Abandonado, the guy who uh, was a top scorer for the uh, Trophy of Lyon last year. And he put up 16 assists in 38 games with the Rocket last season was a big playoff contributor. So if you're looking for just a small, quick, fast player to kind of feed them the puck, I think he'd be a decent fit. Yeah. If like Virginia the, the can only... Abandonado, the Rocket can find something to work with because last season a lot the of the only... guys who works uh... – oh, sorry, Sebastian. Yeah, so, sorry, the, the only options of like actual Habs prospects, I think, down the middle that could technically play on that line uh, would be Cam Hillis, who has struggled in the AHL, and yes. uh, Philip Mashar. If you want to go all out fun, you put Philip Mashar as the sentiment on that line. But I mean, like the Rocket also have guys that they signed who we have no expectations for in between the next yeah, season. Exactly. Like Anthony Beauregard, the U Sports Player of the Year in the ECHL MVP two seasons ago, who he might play in 12 of the year, or maybe he'll surpass all expectations Ooh, and will make the Rockets how, roster. How, how about how about Zavi Simono? Simono would be, be another fun. amazingly interesting Cause, player because he, he's a pure he's a pure playmaker. He's extremely intelligent, um, and he has a similar ceiling to Harvey Pinard at the end of the day. When you think about his AHL potential, I, I would I would agree. I think again, it, it, it's a lot to ask for a player that's played zero professional games to. Mm-hmm. I mean, having a line, I mean, again, it wouldn't actually even be the top line necessarily of Slavkovsky, Yelonen, and uh, Simino, because you could have a first line of, I don't know, uh, Teasdale, uh, Harvey Pinard, and Bork or something, right? Um, but that could be really fun. I think Simino would be a great complement to those guys, because both Simino and Slavkovsky are primarily playmakers. Uh, Yelonen is a great goal scorer and Slavkovsky has a great shot as well but uh, um, one thing that uh like I just kind of thought of now you were talking about the defense being Baron Gooley um uh whoever whoever else their brother Jack brother Norlander such a good player yeah and Jack I oh my god it's gonna be yeah Jack I and Slavkovsky are gonna have chemistry that could be fun uh, but like, who, there's so many defensemen that you have to keep track of now because there's Madison Bowie, and then there's all the guys that were there <laughs> last season, right? Corey Schooneman might start. I forget about Anthony show. Richard. Anthony Richard and Mitchell Stevens are also coming into the rocket next year. I, exactly. But but they're not they're, they're not defensemen though, are they? They're both forwards. They're both forwards, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. if we're gonna talk about defensemen, but, but yeah, but maybe, maybe Mitchell Stevens is gonna we be. We should bring up there. the fact that Lane Hudson is a hab now. Um. Yeah, I my reaction to that was um, one of pure and utter joy. Like I, because I, 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 I live streamed the draft and I, I clipped my reaction to the Hudson selection, and it's just, I'm pretty sure I said, I said the words, "Oh my god!" at least, at least fifty times. Uh, <clears throat> I was, I was very excited. Um, Lane Hudson yeah, is the definition quickly, of uh... dynamism. I forgot that both Stevens and Richard are both centers and Mitchell Stevens put up eight points in four games in the AHL in a brief call-up. So if you're talking about two guys yeah. who might play with them, that's probably your best bet. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. You see, it's always it's the new guys. It's the new guys that you forget about. Yeah. The thing that does worry me of Hudson, especially like as much as I was immensely impressed by his showing at the development camp and everything's done, his build is still his build. So at the end of the day, you're going to have to take that into consideration when it comes to playing a pro game. A guy who's five foot nine and weighs 148 pounds. Yeah, for how for big sure. is Matt Dumba? Jared Spurgeon, like the uh, not Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon. There's small defensemen that can make it, and if there's going to be one, it's going to be Lane Hudson. <laughs> Absolutely, but he just you see, like like Scott, I've watched a lot of Lane Hudson, like like an absurd amount of Lane Hudson because. In order for me to rank him 11th overall on my list, I had to be sh- certain of my comfort level with that because of his build. Like, Absolutely. Like, it, it is just a risk to put him that high on my board because, again, I, I took the scouting thing very, very seriously this year. And the reason I was comfortable doing it is because, yes, he's small, but he excels at things that you need to excel at as a small player. Uh, he is tremendous at evading pressure. Uh, he plays under, like, he plays through pressure extremely well, right? Like 
he embraces it when he gets pressure, right? Some people, uh, some player, smaller, play, smaller players, if if they have big players like crowding them or rushing towards them, they panic. Uh, Lane Hudson thrives on it uh, and he exploits that, that movement. And um, he's tremendously agile. Like, yes, there are significant... To... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you can finish. No, the, the point I just wanted to make really quick is just that like, it's not the fact that, because I've, again, I was, even before the draft, again, I was a person who was also high on Hudson and I was impressed by what he had shown. But when you think about a former top NHL prospects who came into the league and demonstrate similar ways to evade pressure, like I think of another obscure reference, yeah, like Alan McCauley, who was a top prospect for the Leafs in the late 90s. He had the same thing where he was tenacious on the puck. He was a big body checker. Then he got that one big hit and his frame wasn't built for it. And then he started playing scared afterwards. So I think, again, as much as I'm impressed with the way he managed to evade pressure, it's just taking different... that risk. It's a very different game now than it was in the 90s, mm-hmm. right? I think that, that, that that's also, like, look, a player like... Physicality like, is still Hudson, there at the end of the day. It's still there, but it's not nearly as, like, like, like look, the 90s were the years of disgusting, right? Well, it's, where, it's, where it's, you it's have... called the dead pucker for a reason. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? Whereas in today's game, um, also, like, like because of late Hudson's just his mobility and look, he, he, he's been rocked with hits before, right? Like, like he, mm. he has been rocked by bigger opponents because every player gets rocked at some point, right? Like I know player doesn't get hit and he just jumps right back up and keeps playing his game, right? He's, he's not, he's not rattled by these plays and look, th- there's definitely many possibilities, like, possible outcomes where he does not turn into an NHL player, but look, I, he is a guy I, 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 that I did bet on, right, with, with where I ranked him because I'm so confident that he has the ability to surmount the hurdle that is his, his small frame. Um, well, I will one of the UF1 thing, uh, Sebastian, quickly, is that my dad had no uh, awareness of who Hudson was, and then even he was affirmed of him after watching him at development camp and saying this kid could be exactly. something. So. He, not only is he one of the most skilled players in this draft class, I would say he was quite clearly the second most intelligent player in the draft class behind Shane Wright. Mm. Uh, he he reads the play like no other player in the draft class apart from Wright. And that includes guys that I adored in this draft class, like Frank Nazer, who I think is also tremendously intelligent. Um, but Lane Hudson... Oh, no, because... don't bring him up. No, but they, look, look, I, look, I love Frank Nazer. I don't mind the Kirby Doc trade because I'm so convinced that the Habs would have picked uh, Jonathan Lekaramaki, who I was low on. So uh, I'm very happy that I'm so certain that they would have gone with Lekaramaki because my sense is that they had him ranked around four or five overall. So, um, yeah. But look, that's a good You don't want another Hoffman? No, I don't. I really don't. I I actively do not want that, (laughs) which is why I ranked him low. Um, but people still believe that, uh, well, people still believe that Doc coming to Montreal is worse than Chicago. And that's like comparing a building that has an unfinished basement to a building that's on fire. It's like, you can't even make that comparison anymore. The Hawks have nothing. So the the fact about Doc that I think is, yeah, it's bad. Well, the fact about Doc that again, is the same thing that applies to Matheson is that people are expecting him to be, an underachieving forward where this is a 21 year old guy who was a third overall pick and has a tremendous offensive potential. He's not just going to be a defensive player when he gets here. He's going to be given chances to produce offensively. And for all I, for all I know and expect seeing from what I've seen from him before, he will do that. He's better offensively than defensively, but hmm, absolutely. But, but before we, before we get into doc, uh, the trade, it's, I mean, the trades, uh, but for the purpose of the Habs perspective, the Montreal Canadians traded, uh, Alexander Romanov, the 66th overall pick, and then 98th overall pick uh, for Kirby Duck. How do you guys feel about that trade on the surface? If I had put on Cap Friendly that trade that morning, I would have been ridiculed off the website. Oh, yeah, for sure. Look, I I think the Islanders, they got a, they got a great player. They made a terrible trade because they could have got so much more for the 13th overall pick. They could have had Frank Nazer. They, they, they were one asset away from Alex to bring it. 
that, that fascination with uh, like how exciting Romanov is, it's kind of encapsulated Canadians fans to the point where they forget that there are still flaws to his game and he's still far from being a perfect or even I would say a top four player sometimes. So the fact that like when the people when he was traded for Doc, people were comparing how bad Doc was compared to Romanov. I don't know how I feel about that. And I feel like that Doc's ceiling compared to Romanov's is night and day. If I can add and one it's also thing about like so, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, being at the Bell Center, Gary Bettman comes up, everybody boos him, and he says, There's two trades now. Montreal Canadiens fans, like uh, Montreal, you're going to be happy. And he decided to make this announcement right when Seattle got on the clock to pick number four. Yeah, you see, that, that's what killed me. I was convinced that, that the Habs were about to get Shane Wright. Right? Well, that like, was that, that's what killed me. Thought the Habs were about to get Shane Wright. And the first trade goes. Alexander Romanov, 98, go to New York for 13. Exactly. And now you flip that for four. And the moment he said Blackhawks, the room dropped. And then when he said Kirby, he got right right back excited. But it was just such a wild roller coaster there. How's this benefiting from the... Go ahead. Sorry about that. Uh, the end of the day, just points to the Hawks. The Habs was benefiting from the fact that the Hawks desperately want to move on from everything the Wurtz family and Stan Bowman ever did. And because of that, every team's just going to take the profits from that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely and... think is, is a really good uh, pickup. He's kind of the player that Montreal's been looking for for the past. I don't the know. The one version they said they can never big guy. Yeah, exactly. He's a center. He's got size. He's a center. He can play with the puck in the offensive zone, and he's not terrible defensively. Like, this is who Montreal's – this is what Michael McCarron should have been when people – when we did him, whoever knows how long ago that was. National uh, he, legend. Yeah, he missed a lot of times last year and the year before, I believe, with injuries. Uh, so like wrist, it, wrist this injuries, is, yeah. Wrist. This is like could be seen as his just sophomore with two more years of growth. That um, he's definitely just way too young to write him off as anything. I think he could be a really good, solid second line center, and it explains why Montreal didn't pick up right. Unfortunately, first. Yeah, exactly. And if I can add actually uh, oh, one more thing, yeah, Aaron, go go ahead. So, the pick that was used, select Romanov, we traded uh, oh, yeah. Dutch Gretzky yeah, that, yep, yes. and Thomas Fleischmann the, uh... for four years of Phil Deneau and Kirby Doc, basically. It's still part of the best trade that Mark Bergevin ever did. Yeah, that's that's Yeah, wild. for sure. But again, once again, profiting from the fact that the Hawks were so desperate to keep their uh, dynasty intact. Now look where they are. The dynasty's in ruins, and there's barely any memory of what they once were. Oh, poor Luke Richardson. Yeah, literally. I mean, the, oh, the, to put into consideration, there's the, the Blackhawks have technically have three players on their roster, if you think about it. They have Seth Jones, they have they have Jonathan Tays, and they have Patrick Kane. That's it, if you technically think about it like that. Lucas Ruggle. Oh, yes, of course. And uh, yes. they, they brought in Athanasiu, which I was a little sad about because I really like him. And uh, they run Max and Domi. Domi as well. Yeah. Max Domi. Yeah. No, but but like Kirby Doc, I think, is a very interesting acquisition for the, the Habs because the way I see it, he he is a better version of Yasperi Kotkaniemi. With, oh, and goodness. better, not because he plays the same game, but because he has that like mold of big centerman, right? That uh, was drafted third overall very recently and um i just think that doc's game is a lot more projectable in terms of being a difference maker in the nhl than kakiemi's he has more outstanding skills than kakiemi does that i at least in, in my in my opinion but that's... um like his, his entire contract incentives also weren't based on screwing around the canadians like what the hurricanes did ah uh, yeah i mean that, 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 that that's uh, i don't know that I don't really mind that too much, but, but Kirby doc, um, he, I, I wrote a massive Twitter thread on Kirby doc, um, which has gotten quite a bit of attention. Um, but, um, uh, he, he's a very fun player because I think that his ceiling is quite high. If he can fix a couple <clears throat> issues 
in his game. Uh, and they really boil down to his skating. Uh, he's very, very mobile, but he, he lacks knee bend. And if he can fix it, if he can like improve his knee bend, so basically just have a lower stance in his overall game when he's skating, when he's engaging physically, I think it will overhaul his game. Uh, it will add power to his stride. It will make him more adaptable as a skater. Uh, when engaging physically, he's going to have a lower center of gravity and win more board battles because one of the big, big, big like concerns with Doc is that he's a big player who doesn't play very physically, uh, which, again, is a concern. However, because I think that there are these little tweaks that will change things because he can play a very strong game, he just doesn't have the technique down of how to, to do so effectively. And because it's these like little things that I think can be, uh, that I think are very, very fixable, it may, makes me have a lot of hope in, in Doc having a high ceiling because the Habs have a good development system, finally. Especially coming into a... Yeah, go ahead. Especially coming just to, uh, well, maybe for Nicholas, especially just going to the Blackfingers. Last season and the past season, the Blackfingers have been stuck in a limbo where they've been trying to A, either rebuild or B, try and compete, and they can't really decide what they want to do. So for a prospect like him to finally go to a team that is fully bent on just uh, rebuilding and developing prospects, I think it'll give him a chance to finally flourish. But Sebastian, under the uh, aspects that you presented, his game actually reminds me a lot of uh, a big center, third overall pick, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, he yep, plays a very a potential future game. Canadian. Like 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 Dubois, Dubois, he um, is just like extremely. He's a very powerful, powerful player, which Doc isn't. Uh, Doc is more of a finesse type of guy. Uh, Dubois uh, is just an absolute beast, and he loves to play around the net. He he's a goal scorer primarily, whereas Doc is a playmaker like through and through. Um, but Honestly, I think that 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 Doc's playmaking off the rush, like I what I would love to see this season is uh, Cole Caulfield on a line with Kirby Doc, um, because I, Caulfield and Suzuki together have they've had their moments, but other again their actual results have been iffy. You know, it's been fun at times. I'd love to see a little shakeup and just see Doc with Caulfield because I think that could be dynamic. Uh, with with Doc's playmaking off the rush and Caulfield's goal scoring off the rush, and that's that'd be very very fun for me to see. Yeah, but, I've been saying that for a while that I don't think Suzuki and Caulfield are going to end up on the same line long term. But Doc is just the perfect kind of player for a guy like Caulfield because he can make a perfect one time pass. And if you watch his game, oh, it's, you know, it's, never really it's amazing! Caulfield, like. Right? Like he, he wasn't like, able to use it in one of the because he was playing. One so- of the clips, one of the clips I had in my Twitter thread was Kirby Doc off the rush, and through two layers of defense, he put a pass on the tape of uh, Lucas Reichel, and oh, that was a thing of beauty. He was in motion. Reichel was sp- sprinting up the middle. Again, it was through two layers of defense. And it was the perfect pass. And that that gets me very excited when you see those flashes of of genuine playmaking brilliance. Um, I really think that that Doc has a high-end second-line center upside. Yeah, and then you throw on a physical presence like Slavkovsky who can keep the puck and protect them, basically. And I think that is an explosive line. Yeah. Can I say that I totally hate everything about this Dubois stuff. <laughs> I, it infuriates me. There's a, he's got no room on the team unless you get rid of Doc, and I'd rather have Doc than him. And he's like acting like he could hold out on a team when I don't think that he's good enough to do that. I just, oh, I can't stand it. It's just like him strong into Montreal and I'm just like I do not want you here at all just put your head down and play you've abandoned two other teams already what makes you think that you're going to come to a terrible rebuilding Montreal team and be happy about losing all the time it's just makes sense to me it's so you see I 
I kind of love it. <laughs> like I'm, I've, I've been enjoying this entire saga. It's been very entertaining. And I also think that, look, the NHL is kind of going towards the direction of, well, at least in, in, in my view, that like you don't necessarily have numbered lines of one, two, three, four. Uh, you might have a dedicated fourth line, most teams do. But if you have the top three lines centered by Suzuki, Doc, and, and Zubois, boof. I mean, it, it gives you so much flexibility in the middle. Also, Zubois can play on the wing. Um, it just it gives you so many options. And I'd be very curious, just, just because of how much leverage the Canadians have in these negotiations, just how cheaply they could acquire Zubois in terms of in terms of uh, the actual like trade cost, the contract is probably going to be around the Suzuki number, but I'd be very curious to see it happen. And um, the the more time I spend thinking about it, the more I kind of like the prospect of having Zubo in a Habs jersey. Me too. Uh, I think you can relate it a lot to uh, Adam Fox to New York, which I think a lot of people forget that it's actually his third team. Because he was traded by Calgary, yeah. Carolina, never played a yep. never played a game in either jersey, but he was able to dictate that he wanted to go to New York, and he went to New York. And we're not going to get the Adam Fox or the Artemi Panarin who w- would only sign realistically long term in Montreal, except for Pierre Luc Dubois. And I feel like we kind of have to take the opportunity if it's given to us. Yeah, and and I also think that like even when you look back at when Zubro like quote unquote forced his way out of Columbus, the rumors then were also saying that it was because he wanted to be a hap, right? It's not like he he was trying to force his way to one team and now he switched to a different team. Like his his goal has always been to be a hab. And at least for me, it's exciting for once to see any prominent NHL player wanting that desperately to be a Montreal Canadian. Uh, but honestly, it's Corey Perry, and uh, we just decided to let him go. Oh, good Lord, yeah. Um, but I think it's most likely that Zubo ends up being a hab in two years' time as a free agent, but um, I'm still going to enjoy the chaos of, of the rumor mill as long as uh, he doesn't sign a contract in Winnipeg because it's fun. It's chaotic and it's really funny to watch because all the trade proposals are absurd and I love them. Look, and it's easy to say he has character issues, but the two organizations he's been part of was the late 2010s Columbus Blue Jackets and the Winnipeg Jets. Like, he gets he gets a bit of a pass. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, also joining the Habs. The thing is, what's so interesting with the Habs this season is I personally can't think of any other team that's going into a season where they're so clearly going to be awful. Like they're going to be rebuilding, right? It's, it's so clear. No, 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 no. but this is what I'm saying, but I haven't seen a team be on such a clear rebuilding path while just the overall like vibe of the team just being so incredibly positive uh, ranging from the young guns on the team to the veterans, right? Everyone is just just seems excited to be back, right? Like Chris Weidman, he could have gotten more money if he signed elsewhere. Rem Pitlick could have gotten more money if he signed elsewhere. But these players are choosing to stay. Again, they're depth players. Not It's not the same thing as if it's a, a big name. But there's a real air, like ever since um, Marty St. Louis took over, of excitement despite the losing record. And that's something that has me very happy uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, even going into this rebuilding season. Like if there's one thing that keeps the fans optimistic, because I don't think that under Dominique Ducharme going into a rebuild, we would have been nearly as excited, was at the draft, Marty St. Louis got about a 15-minute ovation. He He couldn't even talk because we were clapping and cheering too hard. He is beloved. He's beloved. And I think he's the piece that's going to make this rebuild palatable for fans. Yeah, for sure. I, I would agree. But yeah, I mean, I, I made mention of the Rem Pitlick extension now. And 
at least for me, it was surprisingly affordable. Like two years at 1.1 is a, an excellent contract, if you ask me, especially for a player that put up over um, half a point a game for an entire season and was the third top scorer in the Habs lineup. Um, but yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on the pit like extension, starting with, with Josh, considering that you haven't exactly had the opportunity to talk too much so far. So you have the floor to talk about Red Pitlick for the next half hour. Oh, putting the pressure on half an hour. Okay. Well, I mean, he's got three brothers in the, in the uh, team that could help. I've got Tyler and uh, blanking on the other brother's name that Montreal drafted the other year. Rhett. 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 Ram and Tyler. And uh, I mean, obviously, right now he's definitely the best and most interesting player player of the three, and uh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic contract and fantastic just play by the Canadians by avoiding the whole arbitration thing, which gotten them even more money and more term, and uh, it's just low risk high reward like he's got the possibility to keep like a 30 40 point pace in upwards and for 1.1 million that's uh, that's a very good value deal on a rebuilding team that's just perfect and i'm trying to think of similar players impact wise that just got a contract and the first one that comes to mind for me is um, uh, Luke Coonan in San Jose. She's got 2.75 times two. And I don't think there's that big That's of a, a rough contract. Rem Pitlick and Luke Coonan. 1.1 is way lower than I thought it was going to be. If it was two years, yeah. I thought that number was two. Maybe 175, 18. I thought it was going to be a carbon copy of Jake Evans's deal. But 1.1 is just an absolute slam dunk. Clearly, he wants to be here. Exactly. Like he could have gotten more, more money elsewhere. And especially if because again, this was announced like what half an hour after the Jeff Petrie trade, like yeah. Petrie for Matheson freed up what 1.3 something the transaction and all uh, freed up 1.6. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just immediately reusing the freed up cap space from uh, trading away Jeff Petrie. Uh, to re-sign Rem Pitlick. So if you look at the trade, not only as Petrie and Paling for Madison in the fourth, but if you add in Rem Pitlick into the return, the trade starts looking even better. So yeah, kind of like loop it all back around to the beginning. But um, also, Josh, didn't didn't you have a history segment that you wanted to present today? Oh, who told? Who spilled the beans? I do. You do indeed. This is exciting. This day in Habs history for the first time in quite a while. On this day, the year of our Lord, 1892, little baby James Dickinson, Dick Irving Jr., was born in Hamilton, Ontario. The Irvins, at age eight, Dick Irvin and the Irvins moved to Winnipeg where his father drove the junior hockey team from games by horse and buggy through snowstorms. His first professional contract was with the Portland Rosebuds of the Pacific Coast Hockey Association for $750 in 1916. At 34, Dick Irvin played his first NHL games as the first captain of the Chicago Blackhawks. However, in his second season, a fractured skull did his playing career. Just two years later, Irvin was named coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, but in his first year as coach, he looks to the final, only to lose the series and his job. But a month into the new season, the Toronto Maple Leafs hired him after losing their first five games, and the Leafs would go on to win the Cup that year. Irvin would take the Leafs to the final six more times, but lost each and every time. At sixth loss, Con Smythe, then manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, pushed Irvin away from the Leafs and towards the Montreal Canadiens. 
where he became the longest ten Montreal Canadiens coach of all time. Irvin took a 10-win team, brought them into the playoffs the very next year, and then won three Stanley Cup the team in 1944, 1946, and 1952. Irvin retired as a coach in 1956, having coached 1,449 games, winning 692 of them. He won four Stanley Cups, his 806 games coached and 431 wins mark him second all-time in Montreal Canadiens coach history behind just Toe Blake and Bo Gregorius. Well, thank you for that, Josh. These history segments are always perfection. <clears throat> and I have zero bias because I'm definitely not just a history student that loves history. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Uh, but thanks for that, Josh. And I think on that note, we're going to wrap up the episode because there was a lot to cover. And I feel like with the history segment, it's all kind of tied up into a nice little bow. And uh, we still have a ton we're living at how topics for the upcoming episodes because there's no guarantee that we're going to have more breaking news or import like big moves to cover uh, in the upcoming weeks and months uh, and leaving some of the prospect analysis of the Habs other draft picks apart from Slavkovsky and Hudson, I think is a good investment for the future and uh, leaving some options open, but no, this, this was a great episode, guys. So th- thank you so much for joining. Uh, so uh, s- thank you again to Scott, who uh, checked out a little bit earlier, but Josh and Aaron. Well, uh, on that note, we're going to wrap this up. And uh, if you've listened this far, thank you so much for uh, tuning in for the entire episode. And uh, hopefully we'll have another one uh, up for you very, very soon. So thank you, guys. <laughs> place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do 
In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Slots. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.